Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand this morning. That's exciting. Cool. All right. We are in Genesis, and we're excited. Uh, Linda DeMent is our scripture reader this morning. So, Linda, come on up here and join us. Welcome her this morning as she heads up this way. Why don't we change things up? You can be on this side today. How's that sound? All right. Move it over a little bit. Uh, actually, will you be able to see the screen from there? I think so. Okay, cool. If not, move the mic where you need it. All right. Well, you all follow along as we read God's word, and Linda guides us this morning. The Lord visited Sarah as he, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. Um, Abraham called Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him Isaac I think Matthew needs our attention I, okay sorry different mics I'm getting all sorts of distractions and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Should I use a different mic? Is this working? It's fine. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Apologize. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And as she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him. A good way off, about a distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. 
He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you, with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not delay, that you will not deal falsely with me and with my descendants, or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for, for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because they're both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Linda. <clears throat> That was a long chapter she had to read there, but she did really good, really good. All right. <clears throat> so this man's name is George Mueller. A few hundred, a couple hundred years ago, he lived in England, and he had a heart for preaching the gospel and for helping orphans. <clears throat> and he ran an orphanage during those years, and over 10,000 orphans came through his orphanage and got an education and were raised and sent out into the world. What an amazing ministry. And George Mueller did all of this without ever asking anybody for a dime. He never asked for charity. And I try to run a nonprofit organization and never have to ask for money. This, but this guy did it because he totally depended on God. He prayed for everything, that God would provide all that was needed. And one morning, the lady who ran the kitchen at this orphanage came in and said, Mr. Mueller, we don't have anything to feed the children. He said, gather the children into the cafeteria, ask them to bow their heads and thank the Lord for the food. God will provide. And Mueller went back to his office, got on his knees and said, God, you always provide and I know you always will. And we're asking you again this morning to, to provide. Just then, a, uh, a knock came on the door and he opened the door and the local baker said, you know, I was up all night. I couldn't sleep for some reason. And God laid on my heart to bake bread for your children. So he baked enough bread for 300 children. And then they started passing out the bread to the kids. And then another knock came out the door. And it was the local milkman who had a horse-drawn wagon with milk that was delivering. He said, my wagon wheel is broken. This milk is going to go bad sitting here in the sun. Could you all use milk? And so he had enough milk for 300 children. So the children ate milk and bread that morning. God provided just like that. And that's how God did this for, for this man's life as he brought all these kids. This morning's message is about how God provides. And God provides several things for Abraham here. 
He provides the promise of Isaac's son, and he fulfills that promise. God provides peace for Hagar's fear, and then God provides peace with Abraham's foes. So we're going to look at these three things. And there's not just one, but there's three chiastic structures in this. And for those of you who are new to Revolution, a chiastic structure is just a poetical device to teach us what's the main point and what are the parallel points. And I won't give you any more detail than that. But in this first passage right here, it starts off, and I realize the print is small, it starts off talking about Sarah. It says, Sarah, 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 three times, and how she conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And then the passage ends in verse 7, with, with talking about Abraham and bearing a son in his old age. So it talks about the couple at the beginning and the end, and the emphasis on the old age. And then it talks about Isaac. And what does Isaac's name mean? Laughter. So it talks about, it says, it talks about she bore Isaac, and Abraham circumcised Isaac, and then it says, God made him laugh, and then all that hear will laugh with me. And so you see Isaac, Isaac, laughter, laughter in that passage right there. So it, one interprets the other there, right? But the, the heart of this first part of the section of the chapter is that Abraham was 100 years old when, when Isaac was born. We can't just gloss over that. If you've grown up in Sunday school, you're like, yeah, yeah, Noah built an ark, Abraham had a kid 100 years old, blah, 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 and those things just become fairy tales and they're not. This is history. These things actually happen. A man who was 100 years old and his wife, wouldn't, even this is probably the bigger miracle, was 90 years old, had a baby boy. And this is how God starts the lineage of the Messiah. This is, a, and this is how God starts his chosen people. And this is how he forms the nation of Israel. With, he begins it all with a miracle. So don't forget the, the fact that this is, this, Abraham's experienced the biz, biggest miracle of all. Now, he's probably been wanting to have kids since he was in his 20s and, and never had them, never had them. And his name was like a joke, father of many. <laughs> How many kids do you have? Zero. <laughs> you know, his, his name probably got made fun of all the time. And then when God promises to him in his 60s, it's like, okay, yeah, any day now, any day now. Decades pass before God fills his promise. Keep, keep in mind that God is seldom early, but he's never late. God purposely will wait to answer your prayer like last minute often just to test your faith, just to see how much you will trust him. And he's not trying to, he's not procrastinating. He's growing you stronger through the process. But here's what's fascinating about this story. God is not just dealing with this friend of his, Abraham. He's dealing with his wife. We saw previously that Abraham, I mean, Abraham's wife, Sarah, God made a covenant with her. People didn't make covenant with females back then, but the Bible's different. The Bible exalted women in cultures where they were not exalted, where they were oppressed and looked at as property. But God is speaking directly and even coming to visit Sarah, just like he said, and he did as he promised. He caused her to conceive in her old age, and he was dealing with her in a very personal way. In fact, Hebrews 11 is what's commonly called the Faith Hall of Fame. Here's all the heroes of the faith and how all the amazing things that they did and that God did through them because they had faith, faith that God had given them. And look, it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. How did Sarah get the ability for her body to change, to reverse menopause and everything and to conceive? Because she had faith. And she had faith to conceive even when she was past that age, since she was considered, and here's why she had faith since she considered him, him, God, faithful who promised. That's where the faith comes from. In fact, the only reason that any of us are ever faithful to God is because he is always faithful to us. 
Before you get too high on your horse and think, oh, look at me, I have, I'm a man of faith. It all comes from God because he is faithful to you. And, and if, you, if you struggle, and, and we all do at times, if you struggle to really trust God with something, it's probably because you don't know him. Okay? If, if I was broken down on the side of the road and Charles pulled over and said, hey, what's going on? I just happened to be driving by and saw you. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Hey, well, get in the car. Let me take you somewhere. I would get in the car with Charles because I trust him. Why do I trust Charles? Because I know him. But if another guy pulls up and he looks really sketchy and scary and he says, hey, get in the car, I'd be like, um, no thanks. Charles, get here quickly, please. You know, Why am I not getting in the car with this guy? Because I don't know him. So if you're having struggles trusting God with your finances, trusting God with your marriage, trusting God with job decisions, which college to go to, any of those, get to know him better so that you'll be able to trust him and you'll be able to get in the car and, and ride and let him take care of you. It says, and, and so Sarah did conceive and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time that God had spoken. Because a year before, God said twice, this time, next year, it's going to happen. And now if God said nine months from now, it's going to happen. Well, like, oh, well, you just guessed right because she's pregnant. And you just have, somehow know she's pregnant. No, he guessed before the time. So he, beget, he prophesied about the conception happening. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore, Isaac. So God had told him, here's what I want you to name the son. And then Abraham obeyed. And his name means laughter. It, it, that comes through in this a lot. And again, 100 years old, that's pretty amazing. He's old enough to be his great-great-grandfather, okay? So this messianic line, when, when our Messiah will come, it begins and it ends with miraculous birth. It's like God has bookends here. Miraculous birth here, miraculous birth here, and all these people in between. Let's look at a comparison here. Sarah was very old, and being with a man wouldn't work to conceive a child. Mary was very young, and being with a man hadn't even happened yet. Isaac's name means laughter. Jesus is the man of sorrows. Both are called the only son. Both are the promised one to come and bless all the nations of the earth. Both are offered as a sacrifice by their father. A ram takes the place of Isaac, but Jesus is the lamb who takes the place of all of us. You see the, the, the foretaste here in Isaac's life and birth? By his life, Isaac gave physical life to many, and by his death, Jesus gives eternal life to many. So in verse 4, it says, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was how old? And, and, and what do we know now scientifically? What happens in your body? What do you have enough of to cause blood clotting? Vitamin K. Again, this is before scientists even knew what vitamin K was and how blood clotting worked, and God knew the perfect day to circumcise a child. And of course, people will make fun of circumcision, say it's barbaric, it's whatever, but scientists it shows that it creates better hygiene, it, it, it reduces certain types of cervical cancer and all kinds of things like that. We've already talked about that. But in verse 5, it says, again, he's 100 years old. How many times is it saying this about the 100 years old? Do you think God's trying to get a point across? This is a miracle. That God starts this whole thing off with a bang. And Sarah says, God has made laughter, which his name is laughter. God has made Isaac for me. God made laughter for me. 
And everyone who hears, it's a play on words here. Everyone who hears will Isaac over me. That's what it's saying here. And of course, this over me doesn't mean, ha, 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 it's not that kind. It's like we, the Bible says they rejoice over someone. You pray over someone. These are good connotations to do it over someone. It's like they're seated and you're laying hands on them or you're laughing and celebrating them. All this started with laughter, like Abraham, <laughs> me, <laughs> have a child. And of course, Sarah's behind the tent going, <laughs> chuckling. And the, and the angel of the Lord goes, why did your wife laugh? And he goes like, what? And she goes, I didn't laugh. And he's like, oh, but you did. You know, it starts off with skepticism and that kind of laugh, but it ends with rejoicing. And this is the great kind of laughter. This is the laughters of joy. Have you experienced that lately? Has it been a while since you laughed? They say that kids laugh over 220 times a day and adults laugh about six times a day. That's not good. <laughs> that means we're losing our joy as we get older. Because what we're doing is we're life getting us down and life oppressing us and life just taking away that laughter and that joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. If you want to be strong, you need to be rejoicing in the Lord and laughing about the good things that God has done. We, I, don't, I don't apologize that here at Revolution Church we have fun. <laughs> I don't want church to be for our kids where that's the most boring place ever, you know. I don't want it to be that way. We're supposed to laugh. We're supposed to have a great time and celebrate what God has done. Is that the way your Monday through Friday is going? I hope that it is. If not, I'm praying that you, you say to the Lord, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? You know, when, when David fell into his sin with Bathsheba, and he got right with God, and he, his heart was broken after his confrontation with the prophet, he wrote Psalm 51, and he didn't ask to restore to me my salvation. Man, if anybody blew it and could lose their salvation, David did. Murder, adultery, deception of a whole nation... I think that's grounds for losing your salvation if it's possible. He didn't ask for it to restore to me my salvation. He said, restore to me the what? The joy of my salvation. See, when you're living in sin, you lose the joy. In fact, I think he lost the joy before the sin. That's why he sinned, because he was trying to find his joy in something and in someone else. So God is, is having Sarah have a great moment of celebration. God made this son for me. God made it to where everybody's going to rejoice over me. Imagine the party they're having when everybody's laughing. Look at this, this lady. Sarah, she has a baby. This is crazy. It wasn't just a miracle for Abraham and Sarah. It was for everybody who saw, everybody who was there, and everybody who, here this morning reading this passage of Scripture, rejoicing in what God has done. You know, when God does a miracle for you, it's not just for you. It's to bring joy to everyone around you. That's what God wants to do. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? So it's not just conception. She's now breastfeeding this child. And like, this, I'm 90 years old, yet he has borne him a son in his old age. <laughs> she didn't say my old age. Yeah, who would have thought this old geezer would have a son when she's old herself? But she's, she's throwing it on him and casting shade on, on Abraham there. And then the child grew and was weaned. Now, Breastfeeding here in America, we tend to stop it off, you know, I don't know, a year to 16 months, somewhere in 18 months. But in other cultures in the world, and especially this time, it wasn't unusual for three, four years old to still be breastfeeding, okay? You may think it's weird or whatever. I don't know. God knows what he's doing. But anyway, so somewhere around four or five years old, when he stops breastfeeding and he's weaned, they, make, they have a big party and they celebrate that. That's like an, that's like, going out of infancy now into childhood, you're graduating. Now, before you laugh at that and make fun, 
You're talking about the country who has kindergarten graduation, and then fifth grade graduation, and then eighth grade graduation, and then high school. I mean, we have cap and gowns going all the time with kids these days. I'm like, it's just a scam to sell you the cap and gown. Just catch on, people. It's just a scam. So they had a big party here for the weaning of this child and on that day. And so everybody gathered around. Again, this is not just a small family. Abraham has enough people working for and with him that he has his own private army of 319 people, 318 people, okay? That's just his army, not to mention all the people that work with him and for him and relatives or people he's brought with him. Um, so God not only provided this promise, but he also provides for Hagar's fears. The story kind of takes a turn here. But Abraham, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar. No, she doesn't call him the son of Abraham because it's Abraham's son. In fact, whose idea was it that Abraham have a son with Hagar? It was hers. But she's like, oh, that son over there, you know, not my son, Abraham, I mean, Hagar's son. That, and Hagar, the Egyptian, it's a derogatory term, you know, she's not one of us, whom she had born. This son was laughing. It's ironic. The word laughing means mocking. He was Isaacing. <laughs> Literally, Isaac's probably over there going, mommy, mommy, mommy. And so hey, uh, uh, Ishmael is like 17 years old by now. He's like, oh, mommy, 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 whatever. He's doing whatever Isaac was doing. He was Isaacing, okay? He's imitating Isaac and making fun of him like teenagers tend to do. You know, a lot of parents may have been thinking it, but he was acting it out. And Sarah sees it. And she's like, this is my son's party and you're going to ruin it. You ever been to moms like that? You know, Chuck E. Cheese and everything like that. And all that stuff's going on or spending $600 on a party and some kid's ruining it. And mom gets mad and mama bear kicks in. And that's what Sarah's doing right here. She's furious that, that Ishmael is mocking her son. Here's the second chiastic structure here. So she said this bondwoman and her son, and then the passage ends with the son of the bondwoman. The emphasis is we're, she's looking down on her. You're an Egyptian. You're a bondwoman, which it was a slave. Before you get your haggles up and say the Bible condones slavery, it does not. Bond servants were totally different than American slavery. It lasted for a certain amount of years. They owned property. They could choose who they married. They had all this stuff like it. It was a working contract. So, but she's still doing it in a derogatory sense about the, towards the bondwoman. And then it repeats it, the bond, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So now she's showing the connection between the bondwoman and Isaac. And then it moves to the middle here. This whole scenario here, this family tension, this mama drama that's going on, it was making Abraham really uncomfortable. Okay. Because he's got this woman over here with this son, and this woman over here with this son, and this is a really bad situation, and it's not, it's very uncomfortable, it's displeasing, displeasing in Abraham's sight. But Abraham is not walking by faith, he's walking by what? Sight. He's not seeing what God's doing in this situation as awkward, as painful as it is. So the emphasis here on is where Abraham's, how he's seeing it, but God's going to step in and show him how to see this differently. So, so Sarah says to Abraham, Man, just cast this lady out. Kick her out, this slave woman, with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son. Now, in this culture, there's what's called primogenitor. Primogenitor. That's where, the, in order to let the family business continue, and let the family name continue, and all the wealth that that family 
continue, what the, what the dad would do is take and give everything to the firstborn and then let him divide amongst his siblings. So it, there wasn't always an exact formula, but commonly, okay, half of this is yours. The other half you divide amongst how many siblings you have. And these are big families. So who got the most? The firstborn son. Well, in this complicated family situation, who really is the firstborn son? Ishmael. But Sarah's like, no, this kid is not leaning into my son's inheritance. You know? And really what was happening then, the practice was wrong. Okay, Don't hear what I'm not saying. The practice was wrong of giving, your, uh, giving a servant to your husband to have children with them. This was Sarah's plan B because she didn't trust God at this point to really give a child to her. She must have been thinking, well, maybe God wants us to do it this way. And she steps ahead of God. Neither her or Abraham pray about it. And so this happens. When that, when that bondwoman gave birth, they would give the son to that woman as if it was hers. It was a surrogacy. She was being a surrogate mom. But she's totally disowning Ishmael. She's like, no, your son, that son, that Egyptian bondwoman's son. It really was supposed to be hers, but she's totally rejecting it. And now, especially now that she has her promise, but she's the one that caused the hard situation, her and Abraham together. And so the thing was very displeasing in Abraham on account of his son. Which son? Ishmael. Because Abraham loves Ishmael. He doesn't see Ishmael the way Sarah does. He really genuinely loves it. Now, again, he's had Ishmael for 13 years before Isaac was born. He's gotten attached to this kid. He's learned to play ball with this kid. I mean, he's learned to teach him things. He probably taught him how to shoot a bow, as we'll see here in a little bit. In fact, remember back in chapter 17, when God says, hey, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And he's like, God, but what about Ishmael? Oh, oh that Ishmael would, might live before you. Why don't you recognize this kid's even alive? God, use him. Make him my, my blessed child, the one through whom the Messiah will come. Abraham is really rooting for Ishmael. And now Sarah's saying, kick him and his mom out of here. We don't want him around here anymore. So God says to Abraham, hey, I know what you see. I know what your eyes are telling you, but don't let this bother you. I'm in control. Don't be displeased because the boy and the woman, I understand you're concerned about them and their safety. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. And all the women said, here's a verse in the Bible right here. Pull this out of context. Say, see, the Bible says you should listen to me. Abraham did what his wife told him to do. Here's the verse right here that proves it, right? That makes him for some good preaching. Well, this is not that simple. This is a really, really awkward situation because she not only gave Hagar to him to conceive a child, the, the passage says she gave him as a wife. The Bible does not condone polygamy. This is a big mistake. Polygamy, everywhere in the Bible, creates a bad mess. It's just reporting it. It is descriptive is not prescriptive. It's not recommending that you have multiple wives. There's cults that try to do that. So when she says, get rid of this woman, he's say, she's saying, divorce her. Disown your son. And God's saying, yeah, go ahead and do it. Now, God is not condoning the bad behavior. Okay, It's like when Israel said, all the other nations have kings. Give us a king. God, give us a king. God's like, okay, Samuel, give him a king. Let me show you how this is not going to work out. Be careful for what you ask for. Sometimes God gives it to you. God's not condoning this whole situation. He's saying, let's just go ahead and allow it because I have a plan B. I'm going to take care of this mess that you guys have created. I'm going to come in and clean up after you. He says, I'm going I'm to make a great nation out of this son Ishmael because I promise anything that comes out of you, I'm going to bless. 
We weren't, it shouldn't have come out of you this way. It should have been Isaac only. But now we have two nationalities that I'm going to bless. They'll fight later because of it. But because he's your offspring, and I promise to bless your offspring, I will keep that promise. So the chiastic structure moves on to the third one here, about wandering in the wilderness and dwelling in the wilderness. That's where Hagar and Ishmael end up. And then it says that there was water that was spent in the bottle, and then later she fills a water bottle. And you see those parallels there. And then she says, let me not see the death of my child. And then later God opens her eyes and lets her see something better and how he's going to survive. And then it says, and God heard the voice of the lad. And then, of course, on the other side of it, God hears the voice of the lad of Ishmael. And, of course, the main point in the middle is that the angel of, uh, uh, of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails thee or what troubles thee, Hagar? Fear not. So the main point here in this next section is about God. It's the angel of the Lord. Now, it didn't say an angel of the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord, which is what we call a Christophany. It's Jesus making a physical appearance before his incarnation in Bethlehem. So Jesus did that several times in the Old Testament. And what's so interesting is he does it with women. He appears to women just as much as he appears to men, which is an amazing thing. Other religions don't teach that. So Abraham rose up early. Abraham is not a procrastinator. You'll see next week when he goes to sacrifice Isaac, he, when does he do it? Early. And we've seen previously he does it early. When does Jesus get up to pray? Early. You see many heroes in the Bible, when they do what they're supposed to do, they do it early. But what he gives her is really weird. Bread and a skin of water. Not several skins of water. Not bread and meat and lamb and all kinds of things. I mean, they're going to go on a long journey. He should have packed them down well. You kind of get the idea this was done in a hurry. Like this was done in anger. Like, ah, oh, I'm tired of the situation. Here, just get, take the bread, take the water, get out of here. What harsh treatment for the mother of your firstborn son. Just, just really, Abraham's acting in a really ungodly way. Man, Abraham reminds me, Abraham's like the New Testament equivalent of Peter. Highs and lows, highs and lows. One minute Abraham is trusting God for amazing things and leaving. Next thing he's lying about his wife being his sister. You know, next thing he's doing, he's rescuing Lot. And next thing you know, he's lying again about his sister. Now he's kicking out this woman. He's saying, here, have some bread and water, hit the road. It's just really harsh, isn't it? It's just a really sad situation. He gave it to her. He puts it on her shoulder. How many donkeys does he have? How many camels does he have? He's got hundreds. He should have loaded up a burst of, a, a beast of burden, a burst of beaten. <laughs> That's weird. Anyway, he should have loaded up some type of animal with, and maybe tons of animals. He could have given her a dozen. He was really wealthy. He could have loaded her with the food and maybe sacks of gold and whatever he wanted. I mean, he's just defeated several armies and inherited a lot of wealth. And yet, he's stingy here. I mean, there's so many things wrong with Abraham in this verse right here. We can make a list of 14 things easily that Abraham is doing wrong in this situation. Again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not saying this is how you should have acted. It's not saying Abraham did right. He's doing wrong. And God's like, you know what? If you're going to treat her this badly, let her go. I'll take care of her. So along with the child, he sent her away. And this is the same Hebrew language it means to divorce someone. Remember the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, can you put away a wife for any cause? Can you send her away for any cause? This is what the language is here. So he's, he's saying, you're out of here. You're not my wife anymore. He's not my son anymore. Um, it's this really, really ugly situation. So when the water and the skin was gone, yeah, duh, they're traveling across the desert. She's heading back home towards Egypt. 
It's going to be gone. So they've been traveling for a long time here. And I've always thought of this picture a long time ago is it's a baby. And she puts the baby under the bush. He's 17 years old, but he's the one that gets dehydrated first. Okay? I don't know why that happens, but he's young. Maybe he's susceptible. I don't know how that worked out. But she put the child under one of the bushes. Just imagine pulling your 17-year-old son. I don't think she picked him up. Maybe she is pretty massive. I don't know. But she pulls Ishmael under a tree. So in the shade, he gets a break from the sun. But he's very dehydrated. He's at the point of death. So this is desert travel here. And she went she sat down opposite of him. She didn't even want to see her son die. It's interesting. I think this is a foreshadow of Mary and Jesus. And that Jesus is on the cross and Mary's opposite of him and having to see her son die. But it's just a little picture there. But she's a good way off though now. In fact, here's this is a little irony. Here says he's distance of a bow shot. What would Ishmael be good at later? Good with the bow. Okay, there's just this little insert there for a poetical uh, license there, and says, "For she said, let me not look on the death of the child." And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. Now remember, she was kicked out once before. She, in fact, she went, I'm sorry, not kicked out. What did she do the first time? She ran away, and the angel of the Lord came to her then. And said, hey, go back. I'm going to fix everything. Just go back. And she did. So here's twice that a, a Gentile woman in the desert is crying out to God and God answers her. And this is in a culture where God doesn't talk to Gentiles. And he does, definitely doesn't talk to women. You know, and, but the Bible proves that wrong. That he exalts women. He, hears, he loves to hear Gentiles. And all the Gentiles said, amen. We're thankful God does hear us, right? And God heard the voice of the boy. It's interesting. She's the one crying out, but guess who God hears? Ishmael's like, God, don't let me die. Don't let me die. And so then the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven. He heard the voice of, of um, Ishmael, but he talks to, to uh, Hagar here. And he says, what troubles you? That's a great question. When God asks you what's bothering you, that's an important question. When God came into the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, he said, where are you? Is that because God all of a sudden didn't have omniscience? No, he knew exactly where Adam was. He wanted Adam to say, wait, where are you? Um, I'm naked hiding behind a bush. <laughs> How did I get here? Okay. Hagar, what's, what's troubling you? And she needs to stop and think, okay, wait a minute. I went into a situation against my will, or at least obeying orders, and here I, and then I ran away, but you brought me back. You answered me then. Here I am. I'm sent out this time. I guess what's bothering me is I think you're not going to answer me again, but, but here you are. So he wanted to think through that whole process here, and he says, hey, God, don't, don't be afraid. God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. So both of them are crying out. God hears the prayer. He's talking to both of them in this great situation. He says, get up, up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. He's, he's looking beyond that day. You see, we look for God, take care of me now, now, now. God's like, hey, I'm not going to take care of you now. I'm going to take care of you for decades, for hundreds of years. I got you covered here. I will make him a great nation because I promised that. Then God opened her eyes. What, what was going on here? There was water nearby, and she had no clue. She was about to have her son die and probably her die 
when there was water right nearby. Now, whether God veiled her eyes, which he does several times in the Bible, or what was going on, or maybe she just wasn't seeing it, but many times in desperate situations, the solution to your problem is right there. And we just need God to open up our eyes. And God just to show us what he wants us to do in that situation, what he wants to provide in that situation. And she went and she filled that skin of water. Again, one skin of water, Abraham. Thank you for being so generous. And she fills it up and she gives the boy to drink. And you can just probably see the life coming back on his body as the dehydration abates there. And then God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with what? The bow. That was the whole point of the bow shot, that God would give him the ability to do the things that overcome the death in that situation and, and for Hagar to claim that promise. And he lived, lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from where? She went back to home. He was going to marry someone just like mom. That's, that's what she wanted. And there's, there's good and bad in that situation there. But God heard the voice of this desperate woman. He heard the cry of this desperate boy. People who were foreigners, slaves, whatever you want to call them, God loves the lowly. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what God, everywhere in the Bible, who is God rooting for? The underdog. In every situation, it's the younger brother. It's the slave person. It's the little girl. God is always rooting for the underdog, the one who doesn't have a chance, and that's who he shows himself strong. He says, I am the Lord God Almighty. And he talks about how I look out for the widows and orphans. God associates with the lowly. Don't ever get yourself in a situation where you think you're too good for people like that. Oh, those people. You need to get in, in touch with being like Christ who associates with sinners and the, those who are in desperate need. So we saw that God fulfilled his promise of Isaac. God provides peace for Hagar. And now we'll come to the third point. I only have three this morning. God provides peace with Abraham's foes. And a third chaotic structure. So it talks about Abimelech. And again, Abimelech is not his name. Thank the Lord. That's a horrible name, isn't it? Abimelech is his title. It's like Pharaoh or Caesar. Okay? And we have good reason to believe this is not the same Abimelech as last week. This is a new king wearing the title, the Abimelech, if you will. And he's, this kingdom has grown even more to where he has a commander over his armies. His name is Phicol, another horrible name. But this is his name. That's not his title, okay? And he talks about how they're going to swear to each other an oath. And, of course, the passage ends with swearing and Abimelech and Phicol. And then it works its way inward. Abraham and Abimelech talking about a water, a well. Again, desert climate, wells mean everything. There's not running water, there's not plumbing, there's not city water, all those things. So wells are a big thing that people would, fought, would fight over. People would die over these things. And to dig a well was a lot of work, a lot of investment. And once you did that, you're not letting anybody steal it. But that's what was going on here. So they're having a dispute about the well. And of course, the middle of that passage here is Abraham took sheep and oxen and made a covenant. Sheep, two guys having an issue... And they're going to make a covenant. We've heard that before, right? We'll talk about that here. So that's the main point here, is the sheep and oxen and the covenant that's going to take place. So at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to him, Abraham, God is with you in all you do. Man, what a great compliment. Especially when you consider all of Abraham's mistakes. It's like, even when you mess up, Abraham, God's with you, which is, that, that ought to be a testimony for many of us this morning. How many of you know God's been with you through your mistakes? Right? That's, that's amazing that God is faithful to us and do that. But the cool thing was, these people saw it. These people are like, I don't know what's with that Abraham guy. Sometimes he lies about his wife, 
And sometimes he does things he shouldn't do, but man, God is with that guy. What an amazing testimony. Do your lost friends, do my lost friends and neighbors and relatives and coworkers see that God is with you in all that you do? Wow. I hope so. Let me encourage you. It's probably more than you think. It's probably more than you think. One of the best things you can do to show people that God is with you is just tell them what you're thankful for. When people say, how are you doing? Bob Foe has a great answer. When people ask him how he's doing, he says, I'm thankful. And of course, that always begs the question, well, what are you thankful for? And guess what? Bob tells them. You know? So talk about what you're thankful for. Rejoice in the Lord. Give, give thanks to the Lord. And people will pick up on that and what God is doing in your life. Now, therefore, so he, Abimelech says to this commander Fichel, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely. Why would he even say, hey, don't, don't lie to me about this? Why would he say that? Because you've been lying. The previous king says you lied to him about his wife, and man, it caused a lot of problems. Somehow we've heard stories of you going all the way down to Egypt and lying to Pharaoh and how that caused a lot of people to get really sick. So hey, don't deal falsely with us or with our descendants. You know, we want to be able to live together here in peace as neighbors since you're a, a nomad kind of moving around. If you're going to live near us for a while, we want you to, to be really dealing honestly with us. It's interesting. God is doing good, great things with you, but we don't trust you to tell us the truth. It's just kind of weird how God works through our flaws and our, our, our failures. So don't, don't deal bad with my kids, my grandkids, or anybody down the road because I've dealt kindly with you. He's saying, hey, I've been a good neighbor to you. I haven't attacked you. I haven't killed you. Can you please be kind to me? And over this, so we don't have any issues down the road. The well hasn't come into play yet, okay? So you will deal with me with the land where you have sojourned. Abraham says, I'll swear. He doesn't argue and say, no, no, I haven't dealing falsely. But he, he knows he's guilty. He's like, hey, you, I got it. Deal. Handshake, agreement. In fact, we're going to do better in handshake. We're going to make a covenant here. So now, when it says when Abraham, that means later. So they've got this covenant going, and now this issue is going to come up later. So don't mix the two. Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water. So Abraham had dug a well of water. They worked really hard for it. They were using it to water their sheep, water their oxen, water all their people, everything like that. And some of Abimelech's people had come and taken it over and had pushed them out. And Abimelech's servants had seized it. So there may have been some swords drawn there may have been some violence going on. How they seized it, it probably wasn't a peaceful, peaceful situation. And so Abraham says, hey, man, what's up with the water over here? And he's like, I don't know. Now, if it, we don't know if Abimelech's being honest. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. There's nothing in the passage that says he's not. He's like, I, I didn't even know about this thing. And, and you never told me until now. And I, I haven't heard of it until today. I didn't even know that we had a problem going on. And so let's say that's telling the truth. So Abraham he does a very gracious thing here. His guy, Abimelech's guys have stolen one of his wells. That's like stealing, you know, something worth $100,000. And so Abraham's going to say, hey, here's what I do. I'm going to give you, we don't know how many sheep, probably a lot. He's a rich man. So, hey, here's 100 sheep. Here's 100 oxen. I want to make a covenant with you. It's like a peace treaty here. And here's, here's a lot of wealth just to show my good intentions. And I want to make a, a deal with, I want to make a treaty with you a contract, a binding thing. And then here's the key. It says that Abraham set out seven female ewe lambs apart. So let's say there's 100 sheep. He said, I want you to go out there, servants. I want you to pick out the seven best female little lambs that can produce a whole lot more children, and you bring them over here. And it says he set them apart. What do you think he's going to do with them? 
Remember the blood covenant before? I believe that's what's going to happen. I think I, think I can not just read into the passage, but I can prove it to you. <clears throat> Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven? These, you lambs that you have set apart. Keep reading here. And he said, these seven you lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness or testimony. This is a sign from God that I'm the one who dug this well. Okay, but every time you look at these lambs, all this oxen, especially when you remember what we did with these seven new lambs, this will testify to you that this well belongs to me, and you're going to let everybody know that. Therefore, that place that was called Beersheba, okay, and um, because both were, it means the place of the swearing, and it's called Beersheba, the place of the swearing, so that everybody will know this is where we went and entered this contract. And watch this. So they made, and the Hebrew word means they cut a covenant. So what did he do with those seven new lambs? The same thing that him and God had done before. When God, when Abraham was complaining, God, where's your promise? You promised me a son. And God goes, get a switch. <laughs> or remember, he, he's like, get some, get some animals. And Abraham's like, oh man, I have messed up now. I have ticked off God. Because in those days, when you, when you got it wrong way with a king who was more powerful than you, and you kept like trespassing on his territory, on his property, or stealing some of him, he'd say, get some animals. He'd say, cut them in half. Dig a trench down the middle. Let all the blood flow down into the trench. And now you walk through that trench and get blood all over your feet and all over the bottom of your robes. And when you walk through, I'm going to say, and if you trespass again, that's what's going to happen to you. But the way these animals are cut apart, that's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to rip you apart. And so now God, Abraham's saying to Abimelech, hey, he cut a whole bunch of animals in half. I believe he cut a covenant, literally. And he laid them out. And Abimelech said, what's the purpose of these seven year lambs? And Abraham walks through it like God walked through it. And he said, hey, this is how much I will keep my promise to you. And maybe they walked through it together. I don't know. But he's, Abraham's remembering about making a covenant with God and going through this same situation. So they cut a covenant. And Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And they remembered, hey, that's Abraham's well. That's Abraham's territory. We're not going to trespass again because we saw what happened to those animals, okay? Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Here's Abimelech. Here's Abraham. It's a tense relationship. Hey, don't be lying to us. Hey, don't steal my will. Hey, you know what can make peace between us? Blood. Let's shed blood because we need to forgive each other's sins. And the way we can forgive one another in the body of Christ, the way that wives, you can forgive your husbands, Children, you can forgive your parents. Any relationship where we need to forgive is because Christ died for every offense that has been committed against you. Has someone hurt you recently? Someone talking smack about you? Someone take something that's yours? The way that you can forgive them is knowing that Christ was ripped apart on the cross like those animals to cover the penalty of that sin. So we can't hold a grudge against anybody because all the grudges, all the sins, all the trespasses Christ has paid for on the cross. So Abraham, interesting change of events here, he plants a tamarisk tree. And the word tree here is not really in singular. It's best translated a grove. He didn't just plant one tree. He planted a whole grove of trees, like an orchard. But this, it can't be an orchard because it's not a fruit-bearing tree. Um, so it's a grove of trees in Beersheba. The interesting thing about a tamarisk tree, they're still out there today, they take a long time to grow, a very long time to grow. Abraham did not plant this for himself. He would not sit under the shade of this tree probably in his lifetime. 
In fact, tamarisk trees can last two to three hundred years old. Okay? They are amazing trees for shade, to live under, to have picnic under. They have like this saltiness to them that when the breeze blows through, it's refreshing and causes an aroma. And then another time of year, they, they, the sap is almost like honey, and people would scrape it and eat it like, like a, 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 almost like a honey tree. And so they were a beautiful blessing. To the rabbis, tamarisk trees were a, a symbol of the blessing of God. So what is Abraham saying here? I'm going to bless this place for generations to come, that this has been a place of peace where two guys weren't getting along. Say, hey, don't lie to me. Don't steal my well. But now look at the, the, the legacy we've left behind. That This will be a place of blessing from God. And Abraham stayed there for many days in the land of the Philistines, the people who should have and eventually would have become enemies. So the Tamarisk tree was a, was a symbol of blessing, a tree of blessing. But there's another type of tree the Bible talks about that's the opposite. It's a tree of curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And of course, they use the word tree like we use the word wood. We can take a walk into the woods. Something can be made out of wood. There's different types of wood, cherry, mahogany, whatever. We're describing different trees. They, they use the word tree or wood in the same sense that whether it's a tree, uh, this is tree, you know, we call it wood, or that's a tree. So Jesus was on a cross made out of wood. They use the word interchangeably like that. And Jesus took our curse. We sinned. So we've pushed away the blessing of God. We put ourselves under the curse of the law. But Christ takes that curse as he did it upon the cross. Do you know this man who died for you? Have you put your faith in him? He went through all this because of all that you have done, all that I have done. Think of, and I know this isn't pleasant, but think of the worst sins you've committed. Don't say them out loud, thank you. But think of the worst thing you've done. They're all nailed to that cross. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've taken the payment. You don't have to pay the price. The price for what you've done is a death penalty. I've taken the death penalty for you. He offers that gift. It's yours now to accept it or to reject it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you so much for Christ who took the penalty for our sins upon the cross, who visited Hagar and Ishmael in the desert when they didn't deserve any grace at all, but you gave them to that, and you made them a great nation. You helped, not only helped them survive with water, you gave them the living water as you give to us. So, Father, I thank you so much for Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And if there's anyone who doesn't know him, Father, I pray today would be the day that they would give their life to Christ. Say, I want to live for you because you died for me. I accept the forgiveness you offer. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you want to know more about Christ, I would love to have a conversation with you, whether you're watching online or here in person. You can text me or call me, and we'll have a conversation. Um, Ashley, would you like to help with question and answer? All right, so if you have any questions this morning about this or anything about the Bible in general, anything in the news you've seen uh, that you'd like a, a, maybe an answer from a Christian worldview, you can text that question in right now. Let's see. It looks like there already is a question from somebody you know. <laughs> Several questions. I don't think, ooh, there it is. I was going to say, I don't think the mic is on, but it is. Okay, an interesting comparison between Ishmael and David they were approximately the same age when David slew Goliath. Could we infer that Ishmael was rather spoiled, at least didn't have to work, so wasn't prepared for any kind of hardship? 
Um, I don't know. I don't think we could safely do that. Um, I know a lot of people say David was a teen, but I've read many things that says he's not. I think he was actually in his late 20s when that happened. Um, and is it saying that David was also spoiled? No, that um, it was saying that, I mean, if David was raised to work, uh -huh. you know, he was a shepherd and he slew a lion and a bear and... And they, you know, even whenever he came to the battlefield, he wasn't even allowed to go to the battle because he was too young. Right, right. Okay. So if he and Ishmael were about the same age, how is it that Ishmael was like, oh, you know, did, was really not, it seemed like he just was not prepared for any kind of life. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, his his childish behavior at the party kind of speaks like he's, I mean, he's I mean, 17. He was raised as the, he was raised as a prince, basically, because yeah. Abraham loved him and had, I guess, maybe plans to provide for him himself and maybe Ishmael. Yeah, I'd have to study that further in comparison between Ishmael and David. Ishmael yeah, and David. I, I don't have any other thoughts on that right yeah. now, Then, but that's a good question, very good question. All right. How heavy were the stones that Jesus got stoned with when Jesus was stoned? Jesus was never stoned. They, they picked up, they picked picked up, picked up stones, stones to, to stone, stone him, him, but he, he passed through them. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. No, Paul was stoned, and he survived. They left him for dead. But typically, stones were big enough to, for someone to pick up. So they would start off by throwing them, and then when someone was beaten down, then they'd pick up, they'd finish them off with a big one, like you dropping one this big on their head. It was, it was an ugly scene. It's really brutal. <laughs> but thankfully, well, it did not happen to Jesus that we know of. In fact, I'm pretty certain to say it didn't did happen. Did have that on The Chosen, too, when they went to... Sto they went, uh, to, they went uh, to push them off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's a powerful episode. Yeah. And I can't say spoiler alert because we all know he survived. But, but uh, <laughs> I, I like the way that they handled it. Yeah. Because people have said, did he miraculously pass through? Like, where did he go? Where did he go when he was walking in their midst? I think it was the way it went down in The Chosen that he's like, no, this ain't happening today. And they were always like scared to throw the first stone. And they didn't. But anyway, if you haven't watched that yet, you ought to. Episode seven and eight of season three is amazing. All right. When Hagar took a wife from Egypt for Ishmael, did she kidnap her like what happened to Sarah when Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt? Probably not because probably not. the kidnapping usually happened with kings to, to fill their harem. So yeah. probably not. It probably. was probably an arranged marriage. In fact, she probably went back to her people like mm -hmm. typically everybody else did in the Bible and just said, hey, here's my son. He's eligible. Hey, I've been missing for 30 years. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> I have a kid. I Welcome back. Yeah. yeah, cool. Any other questions? All right. So why would Ishmael not have been considered an adult given he was already 17 or maybe even 18? We don't know. Um, historically speaking, boys became adults much earlier than we think of it today. Yeah. The Bible calls him a child, but we, do the math. He was 17. And so the word child, and see now in Greek, a child is, there's technon, which means toddler, but this is Hebrew. I don't know what the Hebrew word for child is here, but it, it's saying he's less than a man. Right. So they didn't celebrate bar mitzvah yet and she's egyptian he's egyptian so there wouldn't have been that so right. it, it's still considered child like teenager do you think you maybe know. he was Im immature because that is that possible too he acted immature he didn't he did. yeah so it's that's like the like the story of go up bald head the kids uh, making fun of the is it elijah Elijah, yeah yeah and so go up baldy like they were and a they, bear. they were child children and the bear came out and like mauled right. the children and, so and see there's there's a exact parallel because that's a great, I'm glad you brought that up because when it says children there, it's it talking about teenagers. Yeah. And in that culture, 
there were gangs of teenagers that went around threatening people, beating people, and even killing people. Right. So this isn't like some... Like a lot of skeptics make fun of the Bible and say, oh, look, at the bear ate these little children because they made fun of the prophet. No, no. These were marauders. These were people who were threatening and causing trouble. They were like, like gangs. Side stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like the Crips and the Bloods of that okay. day. And the bear came out and took them out yeah. before they hurt anybody else. So that's, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up, that parallel. Is it? All right. Anybody else have a question that didn't send it in? All right. Good deal. All right. Let's stand and we're going to sing with the walkaway song this morning.